The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Uh, for the reading of God's Word, uh, it's listed as the sermon text. And let me just say that some sermon texts I do in an expositional style, I, each verse. And then other texts are what I use to um, gather other thoughts in a, a topical uh, way and receive inspiration from or um, insight into. And that's what Psalm 81 is going to do for us today. I'm not going to be going verse by verse through the psalm, but you need to listen to it and uh, be aware especially of two things. One is the propensity towards idolatry, and the other is God's desire to satisfy our deepest needs so that we don't, of course, run to idols. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph. He went over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my People, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. The word of the Lord, you can be seated. Children can head out to Children's Church. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Well, I welcome you again uh, to the School of Christ. Um, The sermon that I'm going to preach right now will serve as an introduction to the next section in our series on spiritual renewal. So there are three sections. Uh, In the first one, I focused on a retrieval of apostolic teaching. We looked at God in his faithfulness, fullness, his forgiveness, and his favor. In this section, uh, I want to give a strong reproof to our understanding of apostolic teaching. When the Apostle Paul charges Timothy to preach the word, he does so by telling him 
to reprove, rebuke, and exhort the church. Timothy is to do this with complete patience and teaching. Joy read that passage for us. That was our New Testament passage. We should ask the question, why? Why preach the word? Isn't that out of style? Shouldn't we be moving in a different direction? Why preach the word? Well, of course, Paul tells us when he says that the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. I want you to get this principle. We'll put it up on the screen for you. This is a very important principle. God in His grace has designed His Word to be empowered by the Spirit as it is spoken. As it is spoken. God in His grace has designed His Word to be empowered by the Spirit as it is spoken. The responsibility of the listener is to regularly receive the spoken word with humility in the context of their local church. In the context of their local church. As this happens, as you, in the context of your local church, receive with humility the word as it is spoken, the Spirit takes that word and He works it in your life to correct you, to change you, to conform you, that is to conform the church into the image of Jesus Christ. But because we have these things called itching ears, we tend to be susceptible to turning from the truth and wandering off into all kinds of myths. And there are two big reasons why this is no small matter. The first, of course, is that God in His grace has taken the initiative to get involved in the details of our lives. And He gets involved in the details of, his, of our lives through His Spirit as the Word is spoken. And so I ask, who are we to tell God how He should get involved in the details of our lives? And yet, that is the very attitude so many take. I want God, but I want him on my terms. I want him involved in my life, but the way I want him involved. If the church at Durkeytown, St. James, or the church in general, desires spiritual renewal to be continuous, and that's the big theme of what we've been doing these weeks, continuous spiritual renewal, if we truly desire that, and I mean really deeply desire it, then we had better listen to and develop the attitude God expects from us when we hear his word spoken. I want you to read with me the attitude uh, that we need to develop. It's so wonderfully and powerfully expressed in Isaiah 57, 15. Read it with me. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite 
and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the hearts of the contrite. The gathering of the local church is where the public reading of Scripture and the public preaching of God's Word are spoken in the power of the Spirit. And brothers and sisters, we must never forget that the one who inhabits eternity, the God who inhabits eternity, the one whose name is holy, is here with us right now, and he is with us in the very words that I speak. And the real question then bottoms out at, are we listening with a contrite and lowly spirit to the God who is speaking? And that's the first reason why wandering off into myths is such a big problem. It is no small matter. But there's a second reason, and this reason I'm going to spend a lot more time with. And that is because when we do not listen to the reproof of God's word, something happens to us. Something happens to us. Uh, Proverbs 15 10 and 11 tells us this. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of men. Get what that proverb is saying. If God can look down into the very depths of the, of the hell... A shield and a badden, he is also looking down into the very depths of our hearts. And so to uh, forsake the way, to hate the reproof, to plug up our ears to the word, it isn't something that God can't see. And it isn't something that God's not concerned about. And then it will begin to have dramatic effect into our lives. And so I ask again, if you desire to preserve your soul, if you desire to preserve your soul, you must listen to and you must respond with humility to the reproof of God's word as it is spoken. It is a spoken word. Now, I want to illustrate this by using uh, Solomon. And that's why I had uh, Joy read um, from First Kings. So much of our, our uh, much of the sermon today is going to be from First Kings around chapters eight and nine. But again, I'm not going to work a verse by verse. I'm going to really preach on a much larger theme. But Solomon, the king who wrote the proverb I just read, uh, will serve as a illustration. When uh, Solomon comes to power, he does so with the blessing of his father David, and of course, with the blessing of God. You're familiar with the story. You know Solomon is given wisdom, he's given wealth, but he is also given a task. He is to build the temple, which would be called the house of God. The house of God is the place where the glory of God will dwell and where the people would come to carry out their religious service. The temple would indeed be the centerpiece of Jewish life. And it would be a sign of God's blessing on Israel. 
Uh, in his excellent survey of the Old Testament, Peter Lightheart uh, observes that God makes a name for himself by building a building that reaches to the heavens, for it is in the temple that heaven and earth come together. And he observes that it is a reversal of the Tower of Babel, which was a place, of course, where humans were going to make a name for themselves. Now, now within this, there is a very kind of easy-to-miss part of the story uh, that I don't want us to miss, and I need to take just a moment with it, because it is going to show us how good God was towards Solomon, and then point us to Jesus, the king we need, the king we need, the king that is greater than Solomon. If you were to read that whole story in 1 Kings, right in the middle of the story of Solomon building the temple of the Lord, we are told that Solomon is building his own house. Now, uh, the commentator Leinhart makes, makes this observation. This means that Solomon's house and the temple are both parts of something called the house of Yahweh, the house of God, the house of the one whose name is not to be spoken, right? It is, it's the holy name. But the temple and Solomon's house come together. This phrase, the house of Yahweh, is shorthand for the language of covenant faithfulness and covenant fulfillment. And, and you might recall that up until this point, the covenant promises that God had made to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, fulfilled in the children of Israel, were done in space and time through the tabernacle, through the sacrificial uh, worship of the people coming to the tabernacle the ark of the lord was in the midst of the tabernacle no king was involved it was a priestly duty but now that the nation is established through david's rule and reign solomon steps in and the house of god and the house of the king are constructed simultaneously they're constructed together and in effect what god is saying by doing this is my house will be the place where my people can come and worship but that house will have a king over it it will have a king who will rule in my name now as the story unfolds in in chapter 8 verse 9 of first kings we're told that the ark of the covenant comes into the temple and it's a very dramatic scene that unfolds and it is put in the most holy place and when it is open there's only one thing inside and that is the tablets of moses the ten commandments the word of the lord and what does this show us it shows us the importance of the word of the Lord within the house that God is building. The project at Babel starts with a unified language. God disunifies the language. He confuses the language. But in God's house, there is going to be one language, one word. And then in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, that word, what? Becomes flesh that word dwells among us that word then is known 
in the person and the work of Jesus Christ the King. The one who said, man shall not live by what? Bread alone. But what are we to live by? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so when you get to this uh, part of the story, don't miss the larger story of Jesus taking on flesh, revealing himself as the physical manifestation of the house of Yahweh in both spoken word and in kingly rule. Now, everything gets in place within the temple. The priests come out of the holy place and the cloud of the Lord, which is the glory of the Lord, begins to fill the temple. As heaven and earth are joined together, the Shekinah glory, that is the glorious glory of God, come together. Solomon and all of Israel have this transcendent worship experience. The glorious presence of God coming into the temple, filling the temple to such an extent, we're told, that the priests can't even carry out their duties. So great was the effect of the glory of God coming into that place. But who steps forward to address the people? Not a priest and not a prophet, but a king. A king. Because the house of Yahweh is being brought together as both a place of worship and a place of rule and reign by the king. And the king then in 1 Kings 8.14 turns his face and he blesses all the congregation of Israel. And you should take time and read that blessing and all of the important features in it. But this story overall becomes a story full of joy and celebration as the writer tells us about the animal sacrifices that Solomon made to the Lord. He tells us about the great feast that Solomon held and all of Israel with him. It was a 14-day feast. Can you imagine a 14-day feast? Well, that's what they were doing. Uh, the first seven days, everyone together celebrating, and then they have to go back home and make sure their water pipes didn't burst right while they were gone, because that's what people worry about on vacation, and my water pipes burst. Uh, and they go home, but here's, here's the way it's described as they leave. They blessed the king and went into their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had done for his servant and Israel, his people. Now, sadly, we have to ask a question. What happens to Solomon? Does he continue worshiping in the joy of the Lord? No. His heart turns to false gods. Solomon turns from the God of glory and he begins to worship the gods of the pagan nations. How tragic for Solomon to have had such an encounter with the living God. To be so very privileged as to have his house built with the house of God and yet have his heart turn to idols. And why was he turned? Because over time he began to hate the reproof of God's word. He began to despise the word of God. 
And as that happened, his conscience was deadened and he turned to the idols of the pagan nations. Now, brothers and sisters, we'll put this up on the screen, and again, it's such an important principle. The bitter end of idolatry will always be death and destruction. The bitter end of idolatry will always be death and destruction. That is the story of the church in the United States. It's dead and it's destroyed. And that's the story of so many people who at one time appeared to be walking with the Lord. They stopped their ears up. They would not listen to the word of the Lord. The judgment of God comes on Solomon and it's catastrophic as promised. What Joy read for us earlier is the promise of what God said he would do and it comes to fruition in 1 Kings 11 and 11. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and I will give it to your servant. The comment by the Peter Lightheart should shake us. We'll put it up on the screen so you get the full brunt of it. The books of Kings are two parts of one story. It begins with Solomon building the temple and it ends with Nebuchadnezzar destroying the temple. One story, two parts. And why? Solomon would not continue to listen to the life-giving reproof of God's Word. He had, um, he had great insight. He had great privilege. His books of wisdom are some of the best-known books in all of the Bible. They're quoted by people who don't even believe the Bible. And yet, Solomon's heart grew cold towards God. It grew cold towards God's word. He willfully disobeyed because his ears itched and God simply would not scratch. And his heart was turned. He wandered off. He worshipped his own lust. And it should cause great fear to arise in our hearts as we consider that Solomon would despise the commandments of God and thus have his conscience deadened. You know, as wonderful as it was to retrieve apostolic teaching about God throughout the month of August, I always have to keep in mind that those things are a comfort zone for us. Like that, that's where we like to run. We like to run to the comfort of our doctrine. It makes us feel good. Oh yeah, keep saying that. Oh, I'd love to hear that, you know. But what we really have to ask, besides, do we have right doctrine? We have to ask, are we being changed by the person that that doctrine is pointing us to? Are we being changed by him? That's why starting next week, I'm going to focus on the matter of conscience. And here's why. And I want you to get this. Idols form as our conscience becomes dull 
or dead. Idols form as our conscience becomes dull or dead. That's what happened to Solomon. We too will wander off into all kinds of myths if our conscience is not continuously informed by the word of God as it is spoken in the context of the local church among the people of God. And, and I, would, I would offer you this encouragement. When you are reading the Bible on your own, if you can do it in a place on your own, read it out loud. It not only uh, helps you concentrate more, but there is something about the word spoken. It's not pixie dust. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the hearing of the word of God spoken is a powerful, powerful thing. This is, of course, massive because the transcendent reality that Solomon experienced as heaven and earth come together, you know, it is to be our reality as well. And you might look around the room, you go, well, how's that ever going to be possible? How would we ever have a transcendent reality? You won't let us have smoke machines so smoke can't fill the place, you know? How, how is it going to be possible? Well, I want to remind you of something. The faithful God who so graciously filled the temple with his glorious glory has come to us in Jesus Christ, the superior king. The one who never turned his back on the commandments. The one who never ran off into myths. The faithfulness, the fidelity of Jesus leads Jesus to his cross. And can you imagine that there would be a person who would suffer and die in your place? That would take all of your wrongdoing and all of your brokenness and he would take it upon himself and he would do something with it that then would be an exchange and he would give you life instead of death. And that's what the greater king does. He goes to a place of suffering. He goes to the place of injustice. And there at his cross, we see love and we see truth coming together. And if we're willing to look, we will see an altogether different kind of glory but it is glorious nevertheless to say that within the suffering of our Lord, as he is crucified, our sin debt is paid and we are brought into a relationship of peace with God through Jesus Christ. You see, the house of Yahweh now eternally constituted in the life of the risen, ascended, and exalted Christ is ours to enjoy in all of its fullness right here in this room. And I told them down there at St. James, it's not dependent on the number of people in the room. Hey, we'd all like to have more people. But our fullness of joy is not dependent on the number of people in the room. It is dependent upon our receiving of the word of God and hearts that are contrite and open to the Lord. Speak Oh, Lord, Jonathan's right. Great song. Ponder it. For as we receive it, the great glorious glory of God fills us through the power of His sanctifying Spirit brought into the family of God. We're brought in as kings and priests ruling with Jesus here on earth. 
our experience as we come to the school of Christ each Lord's Day can be and should be filled with the glory of God because, as Psalm 81 said, if we open our mouths wide, he promises to fill us with the finest of wheat, our deepest longing satisfied with honey from the rock. Can you imagine that your deepest longings, that thing which no one and nothing has been able to touch, can actually be touched to full satisfaction by this God who has come to us in the person and work of Jesus, and that through listening to his word spoken, we can be changed and transformed. We can be filled for what is the church but a body prepared for transcendent worship. This is what we are prepared for. And you know, as we leave the great feast each Sunday, we can say then as we're on our way home through the sweet fellowship of the Spirit that we, like the people of Israel, will bless our great King and we go back to our homes joyful and glad of heart for all of the goodness that the Lord has done for us. That's what should be happening in the church. That is the work that God, through His Spirit, will do in the church. Can you imagine then? It doesn't stop here. Because all of it points to a glorious future with God. A glorious future with God in Christ when for all eternity we will rule with Him in God's new creation. Heaven and earth perfectly come together. We made whole in Christ. All the idols gone. All the loneliest gone. All the sadness gone. And forever with God. Eternity. Transcendent worship. Full of joy going to houses and celebrating our great king. But you don't have to wait till then to get it. But you might need to take a deep look at your heart, which is why Paul gives a charge to Timothy to preach the word. And you know, you have to hold my feet to the fire on this. Oh, I love preaching the word, but I'm not always ready to do it. See, Paul doesn't just say to Timothy, hey, preach the word. He says, be ready at all times. In the lean times and the full times. In the sad times and the times of gladness. In times of fear and frustration and the times of my own brokenness. In times when it just seems like, you know, no one's getting it, whatever it might be. And you have to hold my feet to the fire and say, Pastor, please continue to reprove us and rebuke us and exhort us because God in His grace has designed His Word to be empowered by the Spirit as it is spoken. As it is spoken. But then you need to come to hear it. I take this up because we all will stand before God in judgment. It's what Paul told Timothy. That God is the judge of the living and the dead. And we will be required to give answer for our lives just as Solomon gave answer for his. For if God can look into Sheol, how much more into our hearts. Right here, 
right now. God is looking. So have we listened to the life-giving reproof this morning? If so, let us renounce our idols. Let us open our mouths wide and let God fill every crack and crevice of our being. For this is what it means to live in the power of God's grace. And the more we do, the more our collective consciences will be freed from the myths that so many Christians have believed. And then we will be able to experience the blessing of continuous spiritual renewal. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the privilege to speak it. And now as we uh, kind of take it in and come to this table of blessing, we say, O oh Lord, would you grant us grace where um, we need to renounce our idols, give us the courage to do so. Where we have fear and worry and anxiety, let us remember that you are always coming to us. You always meet us right where we are, right in our need today. You meet us. You're here. We don't have to wash ourselves up and make ourselves look good. You see us for who we are. Let us receive you into the boat of our lives, O oh God. So Spirit of God, work in your people. Let's have some quiet prayer and prepare ourselves for the table. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.